second, so let's dip into Proverbs 22. Verse 10, get rid of the one who makes fun of wisdom, then fighting quarrels and insults will stop. Interesting, interesting, great proverb, and it's very, very practical. I think I want to try today to make a little bit of peace with you cat lovers, because I happened to mention a cat or two last week, and, um, you know, I don't know, I just let cats speak for themselves, and the more I talk, the more trouble I get into by even mentioning cats, but um, I, I heard from some of you about cats. <laughs> and so um, I, um, I, I'm going to talk about this cat that died and it went to heaven, okay? And God met him at the gate and he says, wow, you've, you've been a good cat all these years. Anything you want, just tell me and it's yours. And that cat says, well, I lived all my life. It was a hard life. I lived on a farm and and uh, it was a poor family, and I always had to sleep on a hardwood floor. And the Lord said, say no more. And poof, instantly, there was this nice, soft, fluffy pillow for this cat. Am I getting into more trouble by doing a cat? <laughs> but you don't know how the joke comes out yet. A few days later, six mice die in this horrible car wreck. <laughs> and they show up. And God meets them, and he decides to make them the same offer that he made the cat. And they said, all our lives we've had to run. Cats, dogs, even women with brooms would chase us. And we're tired, and God says, I know what to do. And poof, instantly they were all fitted with nice custom-fitted little mouse roller skates. (laughs) Nice little mouse. God says, say no more. About a week later, God decides he's going to check in on the cat and see how things are going and... So he says, hey, um, how are you doing? Are you happy here? And the cat says, oh, this is wonderful. You know, it does one of those big cat stretches. Okay, does one of those big cat stretches. Oh, I've never been happier in my life. And boy, I want to thank you. Those meals on wheels are great. <laughs> okay, that squares, us, squares it with us, right, cat people? No, not even close? Man, okay. You know, most people don't really have a clue about heaven or what it'll really be like. You know, they, they, everything they know about heaven comes from, you know, corny jokes like the one I just told you or cartoons like this one by one of my favorites, Gary Larson. I don't know if you can see that or not. The top image is heaven. They're handing out harps. The bottom image is hell. They're handing out accordions. Now I'm trying to shift to make cat lovers and accordion lovers both hate me, and I'm doing a great job at that. (laughs) Don't tell me you also have an accordion. (laughs) What are the chances of that? A cat-loving family with an accordion. Okay. (laughs) But people don't, they don't really have a good idea about what heaven is like. They get their ideas, their image from that kind of stuff. And people think, well, church is going to be this never-ending, 100-year-long worship service with choir robes and song after song after song after song. And you're thinking, 100 years? That barely starts out eternity. That's forever. Is that really what's going to happen? Because we just like did four songs, and I had enough. <laughs> right? right here. I mean, I mean, not me, but somebody else. I'm insulting everybody today. <laughs> 
And most people really don't understand what heaven is like. And the reason, I believe there's a good spiritual reason for why people don't understand. I believe that heaven is actually under attack. Heaven is under attack. Scripture tells us something. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. None of us has the capability to picture or to fathom what heaven is like. You can take your best shot at it, but we just don't have the ability to figure that out. So as I'm studying for today, and I'm studying hard, I put in a lot of hours, I look at a lot of scriptures, I, I, I mean, I'm all over, I do a lot of study before these weekends, and I realize that no matter what I do, I'm going to fail at trying to describe heaven to you. I can't. I can't conceive of it, and I can't get it across to you. You can't, we can't. I mean, I'm going to fail. No eye has seen no heart understands the good things that the Lord has stored up for you and me. I was, I was thinking about how, how can I put this into words? How am I going to go about doing this? And, um, you know, I, I started thinking, you know, there have been some moments in my life, um, I'm happy. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty well adjusted. I'm happy. I feel really blessed. But there have been some moments in my life that I thought, wow, I wish this moment, this one right here, could just keep on going forever and ever. I'll, I'll tell you about one or two. Maybe you can think of some for you. I've got them that involve my wife, lots of them, my sons, my daughter. But I'll share this one. It's about my daughter. We went to Disneyland is my deal. In case you haven't realized, I haven't been there for years, but if, if you haven't realized it, I'm still a little boy, pretty much, at a maturity level. And that's jokes, gets my in trouble. Disneyland is my deal. And so um, I, I just love this. And my family was down there at one point, And uh, we went on Splash Mountain, and Splash Mountain was just, I just loved it because, you know, my two boys who are supposed to be the tough ones didn't really take to it very well, but my sweet little daughter, Rachel, loved Splash Mountain. Lisa's there along for the ride, but Rachel had an affinity for it, and so did I. And so we wanted to keep going, and we were just laughing and shouting and giggling, and, you know, there I was on the log. You know Splash Mountain, you know. There I was on the log. Here's my little girl right in front of me, and I'm like this on her. And we're going over the big hill, and she's screaming, having fun, and we're getting wet, and we get down there. And the day that, the day that we were doing, there was nobody in the park. So, you know, they make you get out and go back and get in the line, even if there's nobody in the park. And so we jumped out, and we ran all the way around, and you do this, and, and you're doing the line. You know the line I'm talking about? It's like forever, and then you get back, and the same log, and the same people are going, oh, you again. We get back in, and around we go. And after two or three times, they just said, stay in the log. And I think we went five, five times, five or six times. It was, I would have, I'd still be on it if they hadn't kicked us out. So we had to close the park, go home. I just thought, you know, this is the best. And I thought, you know, the very best. And the truth of the matter is that for those of you who believe in Jesus, not only does it actually get better, it gets in infinitely, indescribably better than you can imagine. But the reason we can't get our minds around that is because heaven is under attack. Isaiah 14 um, is one place in the Word that tells us about the attacker. His, he's called Lucifer. He's called the Prince of Darkness. He's called Satan, the father of lies. He was this very important person in heaven. And he got it in him that he wanted to be like God. And he got it in him that he said... I want to be equal to, I just want to do these things. And, and God said, no. And he said, you're out of here. Cast him out of heaven. And along with him went a third. 
of the, of the angels. We call those angels who went with him the, the demons. And I believe that the father of lies has been lying to us ever since then, especially about eternity. The Word of God tells us about uh, what's going to happen in the future, which is one of the reasons I believe this is actually inspired words from the creator of the universe is because there's a lot in here that talk about the future. And a lot of what was talked about in the future is now in our past, right? When this was written a couple thousand years ago, the scriptures were finished, a lot of what was written about has now come to pass, and it's come to pass with such specificity that there's no way it could have been coincidence. It verifies itself because it couldn't have been written by a human being, although it was penned by people inspired by the Spirit. The point is, is that the enemy of our souls does not want to talk about the real future. He wants to lie to us about eternity. And I believe, I talked about this last week, that Satan has been trying to convince us that hell doesn't exist, or at the very least, that it's just not all that bad, because if we believe those things, we'll walk around life and we'll have no fear and respect of God whatsoever, and there'd be no sense of urgency in us to tell people who don't know the Lord about the love of Jesus. That would just kind of always be with us. So I believe that he is spreading at least two major lies about heaven. So we'll talk about those two. First, the first major lie he says is that heaven can wait. It might be a good place to go, but there's no sense of urgency. Heaven can wait because uh, the truth is that an awful lot of us are really pretty happy with the way things are right here on earth right now. I mean, if we're really, really honest about that, we'd admit, you know, we're kind of liking things. It's an incredibly hard truth. And our treasure is a little bit more on earth than it is in heaven. Our hearts drift more towards the thing of this world than they do about the things of the world to come. We want to go there one day, but we're not really in a big hurry to go there today, which is understandable. But Psalm 84 says, says this, Better is one day in, in your courts, Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. I would argue that the most dull moment in heaven is indescribably better than the best time you ever have had on the earth. Better is one day with him than thousands of years elsewhere. If you've ever had one of those moments where you thought, man, I wish this could just last forever, let me promise you something. Here on earth, it will not. It will not. Because as we live on the earth, we will experience some grand things, but they're all temporary. They're all just going to be for us a season. But in Psalm 16, we get this. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So today, all we know is temporary pleasure. But in heaven with God, we'll know eternal pleasures that will never ever pass away. So two lies about heaven. One is that heaven can wait. The second one, the second lie is that most people are going to heaven. That's a lie. Um, if you interview, if you talk to people out there, most people will tell you that they're going to go to heaven. Um, I looked at some studies this week and a pretty good majority of people say they're going to go to heaven. If you ask how many people will tell you that they're going to go to hell, the number in America is roughly one half of one percent. Okay, that's still regrettable, but, but, but less than a half of 1% of people believe that they're going to go to hell. Um, 
this, this, what, what that translates into is that for every person you find who says, yes, I'm going to go to hell, there's 128 others who say they're going to go to heaven. So you get the disparity in the ratio, okay? That's an interesting thing because we're going to examine this a little bit further. You go on and you ask those people who say they're going to go to heaven, and uh, here's the breakdown of why they think they're going to go to heaven, okay, from these studies. 43% say that they have confessed their sins and opened their heart to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as their Savior. 43% say that's the reason they'll be in heaven. 15% say that they've tried to keep the Ten Commandments. 15% say they've been a generally good person. 6% say God is too much of love that he would l- let anybody go to a place called hell. A lot of people believe that. And then there are a bunch of other reasons um, that are given. The long and the short of it is that 57% of the people, 57% of the people who say they're going to go to heaven cite reasons that contradict God's written reason, explanation for how to get to heaven. 57, almost 60%, a majority of the people who say they're going to go to heaven give reasons that disagree with what God says will get you there. The creator, the guy who makes the rules. That's a staggering and scary statistic to me. You know, um, I've been watching the Tour de France. Today's the last day. I don't know if you've been watching it or not. It's like five in the morning it comes on live here, so you're crazy if you do. That's me. And... um, there's this thing about the Tour de France, and if you're not a fan or you don't understand, let me paint the picture for you here. It's a bunch of guys on bicycles, and they tear around France and Europe over three weeks, about 2,500 miles. They go every day. They have a couple of rest days, but they're going almost every day. They go over mountains, and the deal is that they say, one, two, three, go, and then when you cross the finish line, they stop the clock, and they add up the time. And the guy who makes that whole trip, they go every day, makes that whole trip in the least amount of time. He's the winner. And some of these guys are really good at sprinting. And when the stages are really flat, they do well. And other guys are really good at climbing mountains. And uh, so a guy that's good at sprinting is generally not good at mountains because the muscles are different and blah, blah, blah. But the point is this. that so when they get to those mountain stages, these sprinter guys, they, they, they fall out. They fall in the back of the pack and they can't keep up. Well, they got a rule. If you don't finish within about... 120 or 125 percent of the finish the winner's time they have what's called an elimination time you're kicked out you don't make it to the to finish the tour de france so what do these guys do they realize that a lot of sprinters are not going to be able to make it in time and they're going to get kicked out today so what do they do they bunch up a whole bunch of them and they ride in the back and they stay together that's called the autobus they call it that and they all ride together and they're thinking hey There's too many of us here. They can't kick us all out. So because we got numbers on them, we'll get to stay in the Tour de France. And it works. Most of the time it works. Sometimes somebody gets excluded from the race. But most of the time. And I think that that mindset is at work in people. They think, I don't know if I'm going to qualify for heaven or not. Some of them actually realize the Bible says something different. But God won't do it because it's just too many. He won't send. They think that they can, with numbers, intimidate the creator. That's heartbreaking for, to watch people put their eternity on the line with such thin, it's such thin ice. 
it's, you can't see it, it's so thin. It's just not going to hold up. 57% cite reasons that contradict God's word. What does this tell us? It tells us that a great many people are really deeply deceived about their eternity. A lot of people. Let's see what Jesus said about this. In Matthew 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are on it. And narrow is the way to life, and only a few find it. Here's the deal. That narrow road is so easy. You can't earn it. It's not a secret. You, you don't have to maintain some level of performance with your life. You can't buy your way in. You can't tithe your way in. You can't serve in Sunday school. You can't help a little old lady who's across the street your way in. You can't. It's so easy. It's a gift that you just have to choose to accept. And here's the deal. Many people believe that heaven is our default destination. But it's not. It's just not. Because of sin, hell, the place we studied last week, is our default destination. Until we realize and accept the grace and the beauty and the love and the forgiveness of, of God's sinless Son, Jesus Christ. So the rest of our time, I'm going to try and take, um, uh, take us and get us a glimpse of what heaven might be like. And admittedly, like I said before, this is pretty challenging for us to, to do, but we'll do what we can. So the Apostle Paul was exiled on the island of, Isle of Patmos, and he wrote some things, and we have the, the book of Revelation. By the way, it's the Revelation, not Revelations, Okay. It's the unveiling of Christ is what that is. So it's the, the book of Revelation. I just clarify that because when you get to heaven, I don't want you to calling it Revelations. It'll be embarrassing. I mean, you know. And at some point, you're going to run into John. He's going to say, hey, excuse me. For, I just want to say to you, Terry, you know, 87 times, it's not Revelations. It's Revelation. So now you're going to be as fanatic about this as I am. Maybe not. I don't know. Okay, so uh, chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, by the way, on the new heaven and the new earth, we will have water. But when he said that there was no sea, that had some special meaning to these people at the same time. The sea was a place where storms stirred up, where there was a lot of turmoil. So I think there was some literal things going on here, but I also believe that there was, there was some... Um, representation that those hard times, those perilous times would be gone. Okay, verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, that loud voice from the throne. This is an interesting phrase. That's, this is the 20th time that phrase is used in the Revelation. This happens to be the last time. And my, you know, I, I can't prove this, but when you see something and it's the last time, many times it's like the one where God is now going to shove this over the goal line and make a, you know, a pretty major announcement. So I, I, I think this is interesting. The 20th and final time, here's this big announcement. Verse uh, goes on. Now the dwelling of God is with men, 
and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God will wipe, wow. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things has passed away. That's a glimpse into heaven. What kind of conclusions can we get from these four verses? Let's, let's I'll draw three quick heavenly conclusions. Um, now, I have to say that there are some disagreements out there about this, but I'm going to give you the viewpoint that I hold to and what most conservative scholars, Bible scholars would hold to. So one, God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, so following Jesus' return and after the thousand-year reign, Jesus will establish this new heaven and this new earth. Scripture says this very clearly in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So what does this mean? The very same God who offers you new life in Christ and will give you a new resurrected body, glorified body, We'll also bring in a new heaven and a new earth. Virtually everything is changing somewhere at this point. Like if you remember last week we talked about in Luke 16 about when we talked about uh, the dead who die without Christ, there was this rich guy and he went to Hades, which is translated in many Bibles as hell. Scripture also tells us that eventually death and Hades will be cast into eternal fire. We also know that Paul said to the saved people, he was talking to the saved, he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the criminal on the cross next to him as he was on the cross himself, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now that word paradise, many scholars believe, and I believe is they're talking about what you and I would know today as, as heaven. It's now heaven. And one day God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Let's, there's some other verses. Let's take, look at a couple, maybe one out of the old and one out of the new. Isaiah 65, 17 says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. You find it in the New Testament. Second Peter 3 says, But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And going along with this line of thinking, many pe- people believe this. Now, we can't be sure about this, but, but it seems reasonable since there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and since believers will inherit the earth, and since we are called to rule and to reign on the earth, I think the chances are good that much of the things that we love and enjoy, we're going to be able to enjoy in the new heaven and the new earth too, except there won't be any sin and pain. Imagine, you know, I mean, this is the traditional picture. Imagine the most beautiful golf course. I mean, I mean, the, you know, with no greens fees and no weights. And if you're a golfer, that means something to you. Or imagine this. You get to f- grow flowers in the actual place like the Garden of Eden. Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I got some agreement from the little blonde lady in the front row. <laughs> Can't keep my eyes off of you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, most of us see, most people in this room probably look out at the world and we see things in color, okay? Um, I'm old enough to remember when television made the leap. Some of you can remember that too. It's like, you remember when NBC's logo became this peacock of all these colors and they would announce this show is coming on in color. And then after a while, that wasn't enough. It had to come out in living color. Remember that? 
I have um, a friend um, who I used to work for Pacific Northwest Bell, big phone company. Remember, years ago there was a phone company named Pacific Northwest Bell. And I was an um, employment manager, so my job was to do hiring. I got to hire people. I had, I had all of southwest Washington from basically Tacoma to Vancouver, out to the ocean, and, and worked in an office with a couple other people, and we did pretty much all the hiring. And uh, the, the department that wanted people that worked on all of the cables outside needed, needed to fill in a couple of positions. They were hurting pretty bad, and, and I knew this guy who had been a previous company employee doing that job successfully. He'd done it well. And they had gotten wind of it, and they said, hey, hire this guy, would you? But he still had to go through the process of testing. And he happened to be a friend. I thought, well, this will be an easy day for me. I can do this interview and hire this guy. They want him. I know he's qualified. Everything's good. But I'm running him through the tests. And among the tests for someone who's going to do that job is one of those tests where you have this sheet of paper with all the little colored dots and if you are colorblind, you can't distinguish the difference in colors. But if you can see colors, you can see there are numbers. You ever seen that test? You know what I'm talking about? He couldn't pass the test. He couldn't pass the test. According to the company's hiring guidelines and according to the company's testing, he's colorblind. He can't successfully do the job, which he had a history of doing successfully. So I got this dilemma, you know, I'm trying to think, okay, I'm not, I really shouldn't hire someone who can't pass the test, but he's demonstrated the ability to do the job very well in the past. And I'm a man of God. I'm supposed to live righteously as much as possible and with peace with all men, do the right thing. What do I do? The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. In the end, the guy was able to do the job. The tests were there to predict whether a person could do the job. They weren't proof. I got proof. I decided, okay, I'm going to hire the guy. So I hired him. He went and he did the job very well. Over time, he got promoted. So, so I tell that whole story because if you see things in color, you just assume everybody sees color all the time. You just assume that when you step out and it's a clear day and you're at the ocean and the waves are breaking and you can see the Olympic Mountains, which is rare because the clouds have to become clear and, and the kites, and you think everybody sees the beauty you're seeing. But he was seeing something different. He couldn't see the little numbers in the circles, and he felt bad that he couldn't see them. He would see colors. Not sure exactly, because I, I can't comprehend what he did see. But he doesn't see them the way other people do. But to him, it's normal. What he saw with his eyes is normal. And he looks at the world, and he sees the world, and to him it's beautiful. But one day, he will see the world as it really is. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be beautiful. And I'm trying to describe it to you, and if I try, I keep going, I'm, not, I can't, I'm, I'm going to fail because I've never been there. And if you think this world is good, here's something that you need to know. This world is under a curse. What you like about this place is grand and it's beautiful, but it's under a curse. When it's redeemed, when this world becomes restored, then if somebody talks to you about a million years of happiness or joy or harmony 
or peace or security or love or intimacy or fellowship or worship. When the curse of sin and brokenness is removed, you and I will see the colors as they really are. Three heavenly conclusions. Um, God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Second one is God will do away with death, mourning, and pain. Revelation 21, again, starting at verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Think about what is it that hurts you? What is it that bothers you? For some, it's, you know, you have headaches, no more. Backaches, no more. Arthritis, no more. Sickness will pass away. Maybe you have stresses, you know, your job, your finances, gas prices, the economy, you have fights in your marriage, all of that stuff's gone. Maybe you've lost someone close to you. No more. Maybe you're worried that you're going to lose somebody close to you. That's not going to be an issue anymore. No longer a concern. It's just not going to happen because death won't ever happen ever again. The world, no more poverty. No more today. Children that are dying because they just don't have enough nourishment. Gone. No more disease. No more genocide, no more AIDS. Imagine a world with all of that stuff just gone. And any tear that you shed, for whatever reason, God himself will comfort you and wipe away the tear. I love you, Terry. Let me get that for you. Wow. Okay, God will create a new heaven and earth, new earth. God will do away with death, mourning, and pain. Three, and this is probably the most profound of these conclusions that I would draw from this, is that God himself will dwell with us. The creator of the universe will live with us. This is really shocking to anybody who really understands the tra- uh, transcendence of God. I mean, um, because for several reasons. Um, I mean, I, 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 at least I just went camping with a couple of family members, and we love being with our family, but this is the creator the creator with us. Here's the deal, though. Exodus 33, there's this verse in there that's kind of spooky. I mean, basically, God said, you cannot see my face and live. So how's this going to work? You know, he says, you can't handle the glory and live. You can't handle the goodness and live. Moses, this, in this instance, he says to the Lord, he says, I, I kind of want to see you. Can I have a peek? And God says, hey, you just can't handle it. You just, it would kill you. And Mo, you know, good old Mo says, come on. I don't know if he was whining. Come on, God. It can't be, you know, come on. Do work with me. And God, God says, okay, here's what we'll do. You go hide yourself in the cleft of the rock, and I'll pass by. I'm paraphrasing. Do you mind if I paraphrase? Because it could have been, this could be exactly correct, okay? You can't prove this is wrong. Because <laughs> I think they had a friendship, I think they talk to each other the way I talk to my friends. I don't call them all Mo. But I think he says, listen, you go hide your, yourself there. 
And when I pass by, I will put my hand and cover. And after I go by, after I'm almost completely by, at the very tail end, you'll be able to see my glory departing. That's all you can handle. That's it. Everything else is too much for you. It's just too much. It's not, listen, George Lucas, bless his heart, knows how to make a great movie. It's not like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's not like if you break God's rule, he's going to send these vicious, demonic-looking angels with swords and chop you off and melt you. That is not, I mean, it makes for a great movie. But it's the other end of the spectrum. It's too much goodness. We can't conceive of that because we think, good, give me more. I'll take all you got. Uh Uh-uh. It's too much. It can't be measured. It can't be contained. It can't be sustained. So how is it? How is it that this guy, this, this guy, I don't mean to say it like that, that this creator of the universe is going to hang out with us? That's really profound. You know, the high priest would go into a place called the Holy of Holies where the presence of the Lord was. And it was, this issue was very pertinent because he would go in there one day a year and do some things. And the tradition has it that they would tie a rope to the guy and listen. And that he would have little bells on the bottom of his outfit. And as he walked around, they could hear this jingling sound. This, you know, this, so they knew he was still moving. And if it got quiet, there was no way, nobody was going in there to get him out because they knew they wouldn't make it out either. So they had a rope on him so they could pull him back out in case he didn't make it. I mean, amazing, amazing deal. We get to dwell with that God. <laughs> Even the high priest wouldn't survive his presence. But scripture promises that you will dwell with him. Revelation 21.3, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he lives with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Do you understand This fulfills God's biggest dream. This is God's biggest dream. The creator who could do whatever he wants. His biggest dream is to have relationship and fellowship and live with you. Finally, unbroken fellowship with us. Those of you who have children and grandchildren and you only get together with them once a year, and it's really special because of how important that relationship is. This is... That issue extended out over the edges of eternity. It's so big to God. God's dream can come true. Uh, verse 3, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. And it's in that moment when you finally see Him that your future will be forever altered. When you see His goodness and His mercy and His grace, and his love, at that moment, all of his attributes are going to come cascading in on you, and you see who God is, you're going to look at him and say, you're my rock. You're my God. You are my redeemer. You are very God of very God. You are the yes and the amen. You are all of those things. You are perfect. Glory to your name, God. I love you. I worship you, Lord. Oh, I worship you. And you're going to worship God because you can't do anything else.
You won't be able to do anything else. You're going to worship and worship and worship. And when you've worshipped a really a long time, whatever that means, I don't know what a long time is, the words to the song that we sing occasionally, Amazing Grace, will come back and you go, oh, oh yeah, I get that now. They say, when we've been here 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. I get it. I get it, God. So heaven is under attack. And your spiritual enemy wants you to think that heaven can wait. Live for today. Live for things. Don't think about heaven. Don't store up treasures for eternity. Heaven can wait. You can do that for God someday. You can become that for God someday. Heaven can wait. Don't let your mind go there because If you do, you might truly become like Christ. You might become great. You might become a kingdom player. You might start leaving a legacy for the people around you. You might start leaving a legacy for kids and for your children. No, heaven can wait. That's a great lie if he can pull it off. Really effective. The second thing he wants you to believe is that everyone is going to heaven and that it's the default destination because then you never, ever have to self-examine, look and say to yourself, am I truly a disciple? of God's Son, Jesus. Then you can float through life, as many people do, completely deceived. Yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I go to church now and then. I do, and I've done some good things. Therefore, I must be going to heaven. Remember, Jesus said, narrow is the gate that leads to life, and and few find it, but broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are on it. So as we pray and close, For those of you, if there's anybody in this room without Christ, may the Holy Spirit burn an eternal message into your your heart and draw you close to the Lord. I really pray that the Holy Spirit will draw you, and I know that's the work of the Holy Spirit today. And for those of you who are in Christ, may you live for real rewards, the rewards of heaven. Because when you do meet him in heaven and he blesses you, it's going to be indescribably better than you've been able to imagine with my crummy attempt to paint the picture today. Let's pray. Father, do a work in us and make us different, we pray. Lord, help us to have our minds on things above and not so much on the things below. Lord, as we examine and as we look at our lives, some of us might look at our lives and see that we might be living for things of the world. If that's you, I just suggest to you that you just admit that to God and ask for his help in changing your heart because it's your heart that must change, not God. So if you think that's maybe true of you at all, just say, yeah, God, I need some help there because he loves you so much and he has such good things waiting for those who choose him. If you are without Christ right now, if you can't look at your life and say, yeah, there was a point where I said, yes, I I can't get to heaven because I'm just not good enough, but... God made a way, his son, and he loves me enough that he came and he died, and it, he did it for me. The word of God says that if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you will not be in heaven. But you get your name written in there because you say to God's son, yes, be my savior. I need you. I need you. If you've never done that before, you need to, at some point in your life, do it, and at this moment, is as good a moment as any. If you want to just right now make that decision, it's a good time to do that. 
And um, in privacy, I'm not going to call anybody out or make anybody stand up or anything. I just want to say, if you want to say, I want to open my heart to the Lord right now so that eternity is taken care of, I just want to agree with you to do that. So I'm going to look across the room and just, you know, make eye contact with me or wave at me or something and I'll pray with you, okay? You want to open your heart to the Lord? Is that why you're looking at me? Yeah? Okay. Others? Lord, glory to your name. I want to thank you, Lord, for mercy and grace and for salvation. Lead us there, Lord, with power. Lead us there with love. Lead us there, Lord, Lord, we look so forward to being with you when it's that time. I thank you for it in Jesus' name.